Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And on today, the 37th episode, we are going to talk to Luke Kelly Klein, a writer-director that's done a lot of branded content and a lot of stuff for College Humor. Yeah, and in addition, he's a writer in his own right, and we're talking about how you figure out how to come up with ideas for a client or for yourself. I think we, you know, we delve into how important it is to have original ideas in order to establish yourself as a director, to establish your voice, and if you should try to write stuff that fits opportunities that you've seen, or if you should just work on your own passion projects and know that if you're excited about them, that the work will come, that someone will, will want to pay for them at some point. Spoiler alert, the answer is both, but we'll talk a lot about that in the coming episode. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately? So we finally finished Miss Earth, which is now Miss 2059, and the trailer came out. Um, on, on Entertainment Tonight? On AOL. Oh, pardon me. It's on, okay. On AOL. Yeah, so if you type in Miss 2059... Miss 2059 into Google and click on news. Hopefully you'll see the AOL article about it. It says exclusive new trailer. Oh, thank God. We can finally switch. We can't it. switch. You've got to win this tournament, Victoria. You've got to win the whole thing. What? Remind me again what happens if I just quit and come home. Aliens invade the Earth and kill everyone you've ever cared about. That's like 100% for sure. This is not a pageant. Really? Because I just spent last week starving to death next to a woman who wanted to kill me. Seems pretty similar. Trailer is okay. I, you know, I have some you, issues I, with it. You're downplaying it. When I saw it, I was like, oh man, this is pretty great. I mean, it. you should be really proud. I'm excited because it shows a big range of where the show goes. It shows like a lot of our sets and characters and action sequences. But, you know, I... I, I just wish it was like a little more refined. I, I don't, you know, I don't like the font that they use for the titles. There's all these little things, <laughs> but anyway, whatever. It's fine. It's exciting. Um, I think it's it's interesting to illustrate though how, as a person who's lived with this project for uh, quite some time, you know, you're you're just in the weeds on like font choices or saturation or whatever it is. You know, you're you're trying to just make every single detail as great as possible. And then a person like me who's uh, got a pretty fine-tuned eye and is pretty aware of all of the challenges and excitement and everything that went into this show, uh, when I see it, I'm just like super stoked. So I think it's a lesson in understanding that it's n- when you're that involved with something, it's never going to be perfect the way you want it to be, but that also audiences can still really, really respond to that. Yeah, I think one of my things as a director and I think many directors have it is like all you see is the mistakes in your work (laughs) they're like magnified like tenfold if you watched Project Greenlight last season you'd see a lot of that one other kind of thing happened this last week is this uh, I worked with this singer actress a few years ago Christina Grimmie and she was like randomly shot by someone last week and it's just uh, just like really crazy I've always like whenever like a famous person dies, I'm always like, oh, I guess I'm never gonna get get to work with that person. This is the first time it's kind of been the other way around, where someone I worked with just like kind of accidentally died in this like horrific tragedy, and it, it's just uh, I don't know. It was really weird when I read it, and yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just really sad, 
and just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, it's especially hard when you, when something's that close to home, right? You know, I think Los Angeles has been very fortunate in that um, we haven't had quite as many of those tragedies as we've seen across the rest of the country, or maybe they just haven't hit as close to home. But this one really, uh, I think because, you know, I knew we had a lot of friends in common. If you're around, you know, you get to know people and, you know, this town is very interconnected. I didn't realize that you'd worked with her, but uh, it was... um, And she was a big YouTuber too, you know, that's how she kind of got discovered. She was on The Voice, but she was... Like Selena Gomez's mom saw her on YouTube and like got her to be to open for her on tour. Yeah, um, yeah. So so she she's been a part of the community or was part of the community for a, a long time. So yeah, it was um, quite awful. Yeah. Anyway, so cra- crazy, crazy how life works. Yeah, crazy week. <laughs> We've talked about that before. Um, anyway, what uh, have you been working on lately? Yeah, I mean, I think last time we spoke, I'd been writing. You know, I think this is a. I think the reason that I wanted to do this episode is because I've been so tuned in with the revisions process and just, I think at this point I'm in almost every single stage of production on a couple different projects. So like I'm developing something from the get go, I'm in pilot script on something else. I'm, you know, uh, finishing up a, a draft or a revision on something else. And so, you know, I think it's good to have all of these different sort of projects. You know, I've got my, my day job, my main project, I've got the the side project and then I've got the just for fun thing and I'm not working on any one of them every single, well, I'm working on the main one every single day, but like everything else is kind of like weekends or if I need a quick break or things like that. And I think um, it's, I've been in this interesting situation where I kind of just have to be writing on stuff all the time. And so it's nice to have things that are a gear shift from the main thing to a different thing to a different thing. And that, normally kind of gums me up but i think because i'm in this situation where i kind of don't really have a choice but to just keep cranking on stuff that it's it's kind of freed me up from having time to think about whether or not it's good or not and just just write and then revise and revise and revise which is really i think what it takes to actually write something in the first place and it's easy to forget every single time you know it's a muscle you have to learn over and over again and permission to write stuff without questioning every right. word you write as right. soon as you write it yeah it's it's that gift of having a gun to your head yeah well anyway let's uh speak to luke about how he generates ideas maybe we'll learn something so we're here with lkc luke kelly klein old buddy of mine luke you've got a pretty interesting background you started in correct me if i'm wrong finance is that right correct yeah morgan stanley morgan stanley mm. yeah are you feeling the burn? I'm very much feeling the burn, and Morgan Stanley would not like that I'm feeling Ooh, the burn. Let's leave Luke's sex life out of this, guys. <laughs> Sorry, that's a good one. Cheap, cheap joke. Come on, man. No, I like it. Uh, uh, you should write uh, HIV tests yeah. by billboards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a great one. Um, but so you were at Morgan Stanley, and then you uh, you had a realization. You uh, were like, yo, I'm too funny for this square-ass job, and got a job in comedy. I said that to my manager, actually, the, the second day I was there. I said, yo, I'm too funny for this square-ass job. Cool. Great. And then I got a, a J in C or there a you job go. in comedy. 
And now you work full time at collegehumor.com. Uh, listeners com, of the yeah. show know that we uh, we love it over there. And also you write for Splitsider. I do. I oh, do both cool. of those things. Yeah. I'm a writer director at, at College Humor and I've had this split cider column called This Week in Web Videos for about uh five years. Oh wow. Five years? Wow. Yeah. Man, you've watched a lot of internet videos then. A lot of a lot of shorts, uh some good, some really soul crackingly terrible sure yeah. but keep them coming guys that's what makes that. you professional uh-huh. uh well so we asked you on the show because we're talking about uh how people come up with ideas today uh, and as a person who's both a writer director and also straddles the line between pure comedy and then also uh a little bit of branded and sure. uh, pitching on uh, RFPs or request for proposals. You've done your fair share of that. You're a guy who has to do, um, you know, on-demand ideas. You know, people come in and say, hey, we need out-of-the-box, fresh, <laughs> LOL, shareable moments. I just snotted hearing you say that. <laughs> Wait, can, we, can we rewind just a, yeah, sure. a, a tiny bit just sure, for sure. our listeners? A little, little bit of context. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so a lot of times when you work at a pr- production company that also has its own distribution channel, like a College Humor or at a Disney or at a Maker or at a Funny or Die, right? People, like advertisers will come and they'll want to, they'll want to use your platform and have your voice when they're doing the advertising there, right? So they'll come to you with something called an RFP. Right, and that'll outline the basic budget and uh, basic creative goals, right? Like uh, the product that they're pushing or the tagline or even just kind of the tone and voice of what they're looking for. And that'll be in a little pitch deck, they'll call it. And that'll give you kind of the outline of like what sort of ballpark you need to be pitching in. And then... So it's like an example of an RFP. I I can use one from my old Comedy Central days. We had uh, an Axe Body Spray rfp Ooh, that I, the I, best. I really had a great time pitching on um but it's a lot of lifestyle brands axe is a perfect example of like they uh they have a huge budget people buy their products all the time so the margins are astronomical who's wearing axe body spray as, as like people do buy their stuff all the time but yeah. as my as, mother-in-law puts it in my christmas stocking every year really well, she's well, saying she's, that you she's buy- dropping a hint well body it. wash like yeah. axe you know they make like a whole line no of i get it but like but, but but i'm sort of specifically talking about the spray like who who's, did, who's oh. spraying that on everybody have you ever sure luke have you ever walked down the street and had uh, supermodels magnetically attracted to you uh yeah when i've spread like, on x i guess yeah. i have that's those are the people those are the if folks. you want that type of reaction <laughs> fair enough i'm so not into that person. normally i'm the dude who shits on x body spray and there's plenty of very legitimate things to complain about but their new campaign have you guys seen oh it? it's so good what's the, the new campaign yeah, yeah they, they've pivoted and now instead of like hardcore bros and like the joke of like well, it was oh, like a maxim magazine yeah it used to be right. yeah it used to be like spike tv the body spray right Mm-hmm. And now, now. <laughs> that is so what it is that's <laughs> yeah, such a right. great characterization yeah really, yikes uh but they all figured that out and that no that person doesn't really exist right like your point of like oh like who actually is into sure. that well People, i think it was obviously, teenage boys basically. yeah like high school yeah, boys. Eighth grade. Yeah, like, i feel like yeah. middle school boys more than yeah. anything else yeah exactly the same dudes who were wearing old spice when we were kids are sure. like cool water yeah cool water there cool you water. go yeah yeah or when like we tommy Tom, yeah. Tommy. We, we can wow. really date each other as to like exactly how old we are and yeah. what was the cool cologne. Yeah. But anyway, they, they realized like, oh, that's not really cool anymore. And so they've gotten this sort of alt 
a campaign where they've rebranded and it's like like let your freak flag fly is basically the idea so like we're not into boring generic oh. guys we're not into channing tatum we're into yeah yeah adrian brody he's got a yeah, big yeah. nose and he's tall and skinny and their new looking. campaign has like it's like weird looking people like all sorts of different body types really eccentric uh like non-heteronormative it's pretty dope actually like that campaign i never ever would have like, thought um, that i'd say that axe has a cool spot but it's really good it's southern really good. comforty no 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 like more even more alt than that also for the listeners i have a terrible cold <laughs> and i sound like i'm a frog in the <laughs> lowest depths of sort of like the stinkiest, scummiest pond, so I apologize. But but Soko has had sort of a weird. Oh, brain. I don't yeah, know. No, th- it's not weird. It's, it's just it's actually it's, kind of respectable. It, it, yeah, and inclusive. <laughs> yeah, it's All like right, a surprisingly mature campaign. I love that. It's you know what. I don't know how I always evolve into talking to like my favorite commercials, but I'm like loving the Samsung campaign right now. Oh, the um, little Wayne stuff and all that. No, no, no. I hate that one. Okay, cool. Where he's like Very pouring cool. champagne. Yep, on that's his the phone one as he's I know. Walking through a Seven Eleven. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't get that, but they have this thing where it's like a, a whole thing about water, like water. You know, our Earth like is ninety eight percent you know made out of it, and people are worried that we're going to lose it, and it's ice, and we use it in all these different ways, and it's like it feels like it's a commercial about how great water is. And then at the end, they're like, you know, if water is like such a big part of your life, like, isn't it weird that your if your phone gets wet, it like instantly dies? Like the new Samsung, you know. That's though. cool. And yeah. then they have one about dark. Like the, you know, people look better in the dark. Kisses are better in the dark. Like all these things. And it's like very lifestyle like really well done. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, our, that's why our phone takes like the best low light pictures or whatever. Mm. You know? So they kind of like take elemental, like primal parts of life and they tie them to like these small product features. And then, Pretty cool. And then Lil Wayne walking through a 7-Eleven. It's like, Ugh, I'm yeah. going to pour champagne on my phone. Do you have another <laughs> phone for me? Yeah. So, so RFPs. <laughs> okay, so when I worked at Disney, we would get these things, right? They, the, someone would be like, oh, we've got to pitch on something. We have a meeting. And like everyone would come in. Everyone would probably be like eight people or something and sit around in a circle and just like try to pitch show ideas or video ideas or parody ideas or whatever based sure. on... You know, whatever, Axe Body Spray wants to right. do a, a three videos about, you know, their new scent or whatever. Right? And and typically, like, you know, in the case of a, a maker or a college humor or, or wherever, you know what the brand that you represent is. So it's it's not that they're looking for commercial ideas. They're looking for the funny or die take on whatever right. product they're picking. I think, Matt, what you're asking here is like, you're saying Luke is in this position all the time where people right. are saying you got to pitch us ideas like today. We got to send them, we got to email them out in two hours. Yeah. Um, what's the, how do you come up with ideas? Well, it's not always easy. I mean, for some advertisers, it's easier than for other advertisers. I mean, we've had a, a plethora of Amazon series lately, uh, one of which has been The Man in the High Castle, which is about... Oh. Uh, you guys know what the show is? Yeah, yeah, sure. Ridley Scott's The Man in the High Castle. Philip right. K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle. Sure. Huh? sure. Yeah, I, I thought this was a filmmaking podcast. wish or... I could name another producer. I can't. Yeah. But I'll burp into the microphone, drinking my Stella. Here's the thing, though, about Man in the High Castle, is that... It's a show about if if uh, Nazis were to have 
won World War II or been victorious in World War II. It's, it, it takes a look at America through that lens. And, and that's been really hard responding to those RFPs. Like, and, and, and I think that as, as a, you know, as a, as a group, you know, you look at RFPs that are just like, you know, you, you get them in and you think, how could I ever make something funny about the thing that you're asking me to make something funny sure. about? And you I definitely think. have to pitch funny idea, like comedy ideas. Well, because yeah, because you're you're dealing essentially. They want the college humor distribution platform, right? So mm-hmm. you're dealing through the lens of like, well, they want this platform, which is very much like an endemic comedy platform. And how do I make sure that a show about a dramatic show about Nazis right. having won World War II and taking over America? like is is relatable and is you know uh can be perceived through this comedic lens and that's right like, and you still have impossible. to sell you don't want to sell that show as a comedy obviously no you, you don't want to sell it as a comedy you want to you want to be you know you want to be uh you know true to the spirit of the show and and you also you also want to make something for your audience that they're going to be able to digest and appreciate and so that's that's an example of a, a really you know hard recent one that we've had in some cases you know you, you deal with the axe body sprays of the world as matt said or you deal with a you know a mentos mints and and they're a little bit more open ended they're like let's right. just make a funny thing that's cool yeah, that's yeah it's, easy. it's easier to be like ah oh, like include mentos and be funny and sure. bl- and like no diet coke gags right now my, my thing about like the about anytime anyone's asking for an idea is like the more limiting the request is the easier it is to come Absolutely. up with ideas, right? The worst thing is where it's like, we want anything, anything you can think of. Think outside the box, go crazy, go nuts, give us right. college humor, be extreme. And then you pitch them all that stuff and they're like, no, that's too crazy. Well, that's every advertiser, right? They want a never before done, so extreme, first to market. And then you pitch them all that stuff and they're like, cool, we'd love a commercial on college humor. <laughs> that's just par for the course. Right. right. Well, and you learn uh, like what what their actual expectations are of you. You know, I, I think it's kind of interesting because you get this outsider view of what your brand is. And so yeah. you realize, oh, this is what we're known for. This is what people think we're good at. Sure. You know, like I started working with College Humor a lot in like pranks. Sure. And that's because, you know, like there were so many pranks that had done really well in College Humor. And that's also like a very easy model for an advertiser to wrap their heads around. Right. Right. Yeah, right. it's a proven format. And I mean, I think that a lot of that stuff when you're pitching brands is you're sort of filtering, you know, their requests through things that your specific publishing platform has performed very well at, right? So like pranks is one example, or like we have about 12 formats that we know perform extraordinarily right. well on the site. And so when you get an RFP, you try to slot the advertisers ask into one of those 12 formats. What's, can you tell us what an example of some formats are? Yeah, so it's like, you know, um, if leaving Facebook were like uh, making an announcement about leaving a party, you know what I mean? Or like A if, Matt Enloe video. If, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a Matt Enloe oh. joint uh, spike. Sorry to use that. But yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's like a metaphor, like taking digital stuff and bringing in IRL. Right? Sure. Like IRL. If this, yeah. then that, I mean, and that, that's one. Another one is, um, ask CH is one. So it's like, a you know, you have a, a prompt for the staff and cast of college humor. And it's like, what would you do if you were a ghost? Right. And then people respond and they sort of have their answers that are then animated. And we have these like very larger than life's representations of what their answers are. And, are, and that yeah. would fit in perfectly if, you know, 
you were pitching on a movie about ghosts, sure. right? Like, like sure. t- take what is the the, the we core. did it for Hulu. What would yeah. you do if uh, the Nazis took over the U.S. or something? Right, That's, would be the man in the high castle pitch for it. Right, That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we did it for we did that specific one for Hulu Deadbeats, um, and you guys can right. go on a site called www.youtube.com and check that and check out. it out. Yeah. So, so, so is I think that the letter U or the word. I'd rather you not dig into this right now. I think people know okay. like you're being disrespectful so a lot of tension here guys i would use the old unfinished business trope to mess with people that i didn't like i would show up to some guy's house that i barely knew and i'd be like craig i have unfinished business you need to help save my soul and craig's like we were mild acquaintances why are you haunting me and i'm like mild acquaintances you are my best friend and at this point, he feels so bad that he's gonna help me with whatever I need. So I'd say that we need to correct the worst thing I ever did. Me and your next door neighbor stole a bunch of money and we hid it in his dresser. We need to go get it back. This, of course, is bull. We show up to his neighbor's house. I'm using all my ghost powers to help him sneak in. We get into the bedroom. He's starting to get comfy. He thinks he's helping me out. I turn on all the lights and start screeching like a banshee. <laughs> The guy wakes up and he sees Craig in his bedroom. I'm gone. Craig, what are you doing in my bedroom? The ghost of my acquaintance, he he said that I, I needed to take a bunch of money for your dresser. Craig gets arrested. I show up to him in his prison cell, tell that mother that he's annoying as hell and I didn't actually need his help. I can't go to heaven. I'm already going to hell. I would spend my- Well, let me ask you guys a question I just came up with. Um, Ooh. First time. Uh, what do you, is there someone someone that wants to like work in branded content? You know, we always talk about spec commercials, like spec TV commercials, thirty sure. second commercials. Do you think there is like some world nowadays where someone makes like a fake American Apparel? Well, maybe that's a bad example because they're defunct. But like a Gap branded content thing on their own, like on spec, sure. that they could show it to a college humor or funnier die and say like, hey, hire me to make branded content for you. Yeah, I, you know, I think that, uh, and Luke, you you maybe know better than I do, but I feel like the, the way that most of the people that we know get into that world is that they have standard commercial experience and also scripted comedy experience, and that that's kind of the mixture of the two, right? Yeah, no, I think that's totally accurate. I'm not sure, yeah, it's just, like branded content, you know, per se, is very much this this weird amalgamation of of sketch comedy and like very hard commercial experience as matt said and i think that like most people who get into it don't really go into it thinking they're going to do branded content it becomes this sort of like synthesis of skill sets and mm-hmm. and then you kind of figure like oh i'm hired for this job and now i do this uh, i don't know if if specking out a branded content spot is the same as specking out a commercial for an ad agency i don't i don't know anybody who's done that yeah i mean when when i first started doing branded content uh i knew that it was an opportunity to break in basically i'd had all of this scripted experience like doing my own shows and you know doing my own thing right like i think most listeners are doing uh, but then I also had that sort of uh, corporate background experience, and I realized that it was a way to pitch myself and get my foot in the door. Like I always joke, I literally saw one of the people at College Humor literally was like, you know, like a little bored in the meeting. And then I explained that there are a lot of funny people out there. There are a lot of really great directors that everybody knows. But the thing that makes me stand out is that like I know how corporations work, and I know how to talk corporate speak. And, with clients. And he literally sat up. Yeah. I yep. was like, oh, I see. 
And that's that's the added value there. And so, you know, that, I think that's a little hard for our listeners to wrap their heads around in terms of wanting to get into branded content. But I think that the point that's the most interesting or the most universal about all of this is that um, there is something really valuable and gratifying about being able to, on a dime, come up with 10 solid pitches for something that maybe you're not, you know, uh, it's not maybe your passion project. Absolutely. And I think that's something that spans past branded content and advertising. I mean, I think there's like a a very sort of clear view of branded content and ad work as, as, you know, clients are really rough and this is stuff that's not my passion. And this is, you know, if I were to ever break into, you know, kind of non-branded TV or film, everything would be the best and totally different. And that's not at all the case. I mean, as, as somebody who's seen both sides of the coin and I think, you know, Matt, you're, you're also uh, in this camp Everybody has opinions always, and clients are very similar to TV and film executives. Um, so I think that that's just a good kind of muscle to flex, being right. able to be uh, amenable to feedback that you're not necessarily on board with from the get-go. You know? and, and that there are always fires that need creative solutions. Like sometimes you, you just have to like, for whatever reason, none of the ideas that you guys have been working on for the last six months are going to work, and you need 20 more tomorrow. Yep. That's that's a huge part of it, and I mean, I think when you're when you're ideating on that sort of a an ask, where you know, yeah, there are, you provided ten great ideas that you're really psyched about, and the client comes back the next morning and says, "Well, these are really great, but you know, actually, our strategy's changed a little bit in the past eighteen hours, and we need a totally different crop of ideas." You you have to be able to sort of like it, it's working within this this very confined box. I think as Oren said earlier, is like when you're when you're limited creatively to that sort of uh, that those sort of confines, it, it almost it almost can be helpful. Like I know yeah. that I have to work within this very square space, um, and here are all the things that could fill up that space, and sort of you know pitching your heart out in that sense versus like we have a completely open field here. That's sort of one of the nice things about branded content. Well, so, so pivoting a little bit about that completely open field, I had this meeting with my manager a couple of days ago and he was like, what do you want to do? Oren? Yeah. He was basically like, well, tell me, he's like, I've never heard anyone say this, but in his opinion, he thought that, He'd like all his clients to have like three feature ideas, three TV show ideas, three broadcast, three cable ideas, and three digital series ideas at all times. So he can, if he meets someone at Paramount, you know, feature department, he can have a pitch ready. If you meet someone at New Form Digital, you can have a pitch ready. And he's like, so what are your ideas? And I was like, well, uh, and I have a couple ideas, like a couple features that I'm really into, but what do you guys how do you come up with your passion projects? You know, sure, yeah. I think that's like the real heart. Like there's so many people who are like, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be a director. I want to be a writer, but I don't know what to write or what to direct. You know, that's interesting. So outside of that, outside of that branded space, what are the things that you're really passionate about? Yeah. And I actually heard this um, interview. I read this interview with David O. Russell, like a, a couple of years ago. And now who's that? I don't. I don't know. He directed um, Silver Linings Playbook. Sure. He directed Three Kings. Yeah. Because uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook, and I sure. think that was the first time that he'd kind of been elevated into yeah. that echelon of like filmmakers. Yeah. And he said that he, it was the first movie he made that he felt 
was good because he felt like he had a personal, it was the first time he had like a real personal connection and it just felt truthful to him. He had made, um, uh, Spanky and the Monkey, with, uh, I Heart, I Heart Huggabees. Huggabees. Yeah, he made like yeah. a lot of like, these really kind of cool stylized yeah, movies, yeah. but there was no, you know, I think, I don't think they came from there like a no truthful There was no personal place, investment, so. yeah. Uh, even though I know he's like a controversial director in terms of like working with him and stuff. I thought I found that like really interesting to me and I've kind of it kind of refocused everything like I want to do you know we talk about this on podcasts all the time I want to like direct Marvel superhero movies but I want to try to find an angle on like an indie film that is like about my life you know in a superhero movie you know sure um and so I'm trying to every every I want to do high concept like sci-fi genre films but I want to base them all on like truthful things that I see or people that I meet or, or kind of, yeah, whatever. found that in, reality Grounding in some it. way. Yeah. But it's still hard to come up with like three ideas for a network TV show, three ideas for a cable TV show. Like, how do you guys generate? I mean, Matt is like selling shows like every week. Well, you know, so what I, I do a couple things that are very specific. I, what your manager was describing is like, oh, like have like pitches on the ready. And I think that's good for sure. And it's really, really valuable. And it's what I call the shoebox method, right? Where you've just got like your box of ideas and you've written up a cool two pager or a small treatment and that's ready to go. And certainly I've sold ideas that were shoebox ideas, definitely. Sure. But I prefer to go into a meeting, take a general, just find out what they're looking for and narrow it down from there like okay like what sort of audience are they looking at what sort of stories are they doing what have they already have in the production pipeline because like so often you've got a great idea but like it's kind of zeitgeisty right if it's a good idea there's maybe a version of it already out there you know so like which should never stop you by the way it should never stop you but also it's like okay well you know maybe don't pitch this one to that one to that team you know and so after i get that information then I sit down and start ideating on what specifically do I want to do? What, what's like my passion project that would work for this company, audience, pipeline, budget? Hmm. All so of you see opportunities all. and you try to fulfill them. Whereas I'm trying to say, like, I need to find that one movie, like my chronicle or my Mm -hmm. safety guarantee not guaranteed or my monsters or whatever that's going to bring me to that next level my uh, 500 days of summer or whatever yeah well i think a lot of it's interesting i think a lot of hollywood is you know for better or worse kind of approached the way matt's approaching it which is you know you tell me what you need and you tell me what's in the pipeline and i sort of match my creative that's the to rfp meet, to meet your so. gaps it's essentially an rfp for non-branded content right and that's which a is a way to think it's a but, it's a way to narrow down the white space on the board though absolutely right? absolutely and that's sort of and again like th- there's there's a you know we talked about that big square box with branded content i think that's also uh very much applies to to non-branded big picture hollywood studio stuff everybody operates the same way i mean this is all for better or worse a business and so if you can sort of narrow down you know if you can pinpoint what the need is what the business need is from a content point of view and then ideate within that box that's where you're going to find success, I think. Yeah, but I guess I feel like, to me, like the biggest kind of ceiling. Are you allowed to say glass ceiling if it's not about gender? Sec- yeah. yeah, I think so. 
To me, like the ceiling, the terracotta ceiling. I'll say glass. Uh, (laughs) I'd prefer you say glass. (laughs) The um, fiberglass. Yeah, lucite. Yes, that's what I was looking for. The lucite ceiling is, I'm at a place in my career where I can get work directing branded content or web videos or some smaller commercials or a really crappy feature. But it's because they know I can do it like on time and on budget, you know, and it'll be semi-watchable. Um, yeah. You can deliver, basically. Yeah, but I want to get to that point where they're like, oh, I want to hire Orrin Kaplan because he's the best person for this job. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and to get there, I feel like it's, you have to, you know, obviously you have to like have a voice of some sort. Like who's, there's no other Edgar, right? Right. If you want, even though he makes really commercial kind of genre comedies, he's the guy that, that right. does those, you know? And so like, what's the project like I think I'm past the there's a story I have to tell because I I don't know that I have one mm-hmm. that I have to tell that the world has to know. But um, I think every project, every passion project needs to be a project where when I pitch it, people don't say like, OK, why don't we get we can get this bigger director to do it? Why don't we get him mm-hmm. or her? And to me, it's like because I every project I need to be like, well, this is this is my life. This is like right. about me, even if it's a sci-fi project or a horror film or whatever. This is like my biggest nightmare. Ever since I was a kid, I was afraid of termites or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why this termite horror film is like, I can well, capture that. But so in that way, I feel like you do have a story you want to tell, right? I mean, like if you're internalizing. Oh, there's a difference between a story you degree. want to tell and a story you have to tell. Like, you know, there's the. Uh, I, I'm going to be the cynic on this one. Yeah. I think a lot of that is marketing, to be honest. I think that a lot of it is something that people use to emphasize their passion in the room and then kind of becomes a press story and blah, blah, blah. I, it, certainly there are exceptions. There, there are exceptions where, uh, you know, people are like, this is literally my life story. Dude, what about, I can give you examples right now. That sure. it, it doesn't, so Whiplash is like this perfect example, right? This guy, yeah, sure. yeah, right, went to music school, had this relationship with his music teacher that was crazy, and it was all about right. how important it is to be a great musician. Then he made this movie about it and like was yeah, but, but, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, so and I I love that movie. It was my favorite movie of that year. I, I think that was he the only person that could have directed that movie? Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't really matter to me. The reason that we know that Damien Chazelle went to like, like, or like was a serious musician and had this relationship is purely because of marketing. It, it's a movie about obsession that happens to take place in the movie world. But like, right. That's what makes it commercial. It's but, a movie about something everyone can relate right. to, but it's his Being story. Right. And yeah. But like Ryan Coogler too, he did the same, right? He, sure. He didn't know the guy that died, you know, in Fruitvale Station, but he knew of that that subculture. He's from the same sure. neighborhood. But Steven he, Spielberg he wasn't it. eaten by a shark, right? And Danny Boyle wasn't Unless... uh, in the a slum in the slums of India, right? But that Danny Boyle, if he had never made a movie before, would not have gotten Slumdog sure. Millionaire. Sure, right? sure. So, so that's what I'm saying is that it comes down to marketing. And so, like, yeah, maybe you can figure out. I, I think there's a difference between personal filmmaking right which is where you figure out a way to get into the head of your characters and why it's important to you and that can be because you relate to people or because something speaks to your psyche or something else 
and that it's all okay as long as it's authentic and grounded and true to your experience. But it doesn't have to be a one to one thing. And I think that just that, becomes that just becomes being a good director, right? Or a exactly, good creator. I mean, that's that's internalizing a specific piece of material and making sure that it rings true to you, and thus is a point of passion for you, right? Right. And, and what Oren, what you're really talking about is in a, in the room when you're pitching. It's a lot easier to say, "Hey, I'm the guy to do this thing," because you have a very clear one-to-one like, does, relationship. I know, I know, this is like more Hollywood mythology than the real sure. deal. But like, how does Lena Dunham sell in girls? She just like goes to HBO. She's like, "Look, I made this film about me. I star in it. My mom is played by my mom. Tiny furniture. And then I see no one like me on TV. I want to do a show about me and my friends. And then it's a hit show, right?" Well, it's. I mean, I think for Alina, I, I I don't know. I wasn't in that room, but I assume that it was it was very much along those lines. And then talking about sort of this like millennial ennui. I mean, I think at the time when that show was sold, probably the word millennial was a lot more, you know, lesser heard than sure. it is now. And I think it was sort of like, yeah, yeah cool. I think this is like, this is revolution. a generation where we should you know be be kind of like probing and exploring. And it was sort of just like perfectly timed. I do think, for the record, Girls was maybe one of the best first seasons of television in years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it also was produced by Judd Avatow, who had like seen Tiny Furniture, which was a South by Southwest premiere. And Lena Dunham had a ton of awesome connections early on. Like oh, she's rich. It's like yeah. it's it's all yeah, of and those things. Her parents are in the arts, right? Yeah, like I think like that. She's quote unquote the voice of a generation. Again, it's it's still all marketing. Do you know? What I mean? And 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 that's marketing in the room as well. But just because that works for her doesn't mean that it couldn't work for you in a different twist. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. See, I feel like the difference between what we're saying is I'm like in awe of these people. Yeah, yeah, and I like strive to be like them, and you're saying it, we're all like them. We just yeah. haven't found our marketing angle yeah. yet. I I tend to agree with Matt. I think that you know it's it's very easy from a creator's point of view to be sort of awed by these by these folks, but I think that's ultimately an impediment. I mean, I think that yeah. if you can learn how to get in the room and market. That's the name of the game. I mean, it's it's a you know we talked about college humor, we talk about advertising and RFPs, and and as I said before, there's this like sort of there's this sort of idea of the industry as this like holy grail that you can't touch unless you're extraordinarily you know creative and and a visionary. I think that's true. I think yeah. that it, I think that a lot of the is is certainly having a good idea, but then knowing how to go in and sell it and how to anchor it in something that society is interested in, not just from a creative point of view and a relatability point of view, but a a marketing point of view. Right, and, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about with college humor. It's that question of what are people expecting from your brand so it's easy when it's collegehumor.com and you've got all of these videos and you say okay well these are the ones that are the hits so uh these are the different verticals that we hit it's harder when you're a person who uh maybe doesn't have a ton of experience or does a lot of work for higher work to to zero in and say this is what oren kaplan does this is what luke kelly klein does right but uh if you can synthesize that if you can figure it out and say, hey, this is what makes me special, and this is why I want to make your movie. I think that f- unlocking that, and it's not its not like a silver bullet, it's not like a, a binary switch, but like the closer you get to figuring that out, the better you are in the room to explaining to people why you're 
awesome. Because well, that's really what we're talking about. Right. Well, let's, so let me put you guys on the spot, Matt and Luke. You guys can go in whatever order you want. But why you guys are white guys, middle upper middle class white guys in your 30s living in Hollywood. And you've been here 30s, for a while. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, sorry. In your late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> Luke, is, 20s. Uh, Luke is 19. <laughs> I am 16 years old. I am a wunderkind. Sorry, the frog I am voice. a wunderkind. Um, so, Luke, why... why how are you uniquely capable of directing something in a way that no one else would? What's well, your think, voice? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes into, you know, my, my, my voice uh, sort of reflexively is very much a kind of Christopher guest, Larry David sitting in those incredibly awkward moments of silence. You know, think of it like Ricky Gervais, Greg Daniels. These are all guys who, do so that, if I could get really any well. of those guys to direct a show, is there a reason I wouldn't hire I would you? Say, I would say get them. I'm cheaper. Um, but I think that, you know, in, in terms of like, that's that's the sensibility. But I think that, you know, that that's my most comfortable, as I said, reflexive sensibility. But I think that if you go past that and you think about like, okay, well, why do we want Luke to direct our commercial? It is a, it, it, you know, part of it is, I think, sort of implanting that sensibility on whatever the whatever the creative is and if they want that sort of tone or they want that you know that that um sort of loyalty to that tone that's something that they would want me for but if it's if it's a case of you know in tandem to that like we just want somebody who's you know I think really smart and who can I'm very smart but I think it's like it's it's being able to to digest and sort of uh, break down content in a way that is you know to Matt's point earlier relatable to your to your life and to your sensibility and to your, whenever you're directing something you're filtering it through the lens of your experience and so you're hiring somebody who is whose experience you're on board with um, and who's not just comedic tone but who's sort of like essence to get to get really sort of like you know ethereal and hippie here you're on board with and i think that that's you're buying that person and for me when you're in the room with me i think that's what that's what people are are, are buying i don't know if that's yeah yeah no I, I think that makes complete sense and i think there's also the point of just like you, ultimately people are just buying your take right yep. so they they have an idea of what the thing is even if it's your idea or if it's their idea of like oh well, we're looking for a person who can do this thing right you've gotten that far why do you get to direct it is the next question. And a lot of it honestly is about just kind of explaining what you would do with the idea and also why, why it's special, you know, it's always interesting to me how reiterating subtext and, 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 and explaining how you would refilter it is, is most of it, you know, like, Oh, has this person thought about these aspects of what makes this story interesting or special and how does it connect to society or how does it connect to history or uh, why would it be funnier? You know, just, just re-explaining all of those things in a passionate way and showing them that you're passionate is, is most of it. But so just to play devil's advocate, going sure. back to your kind of method of instead of generating the shoebox, you know, of ideas that you're excited about, you think of who, where your opportunities lie, who, You've talked to that wants to make a short film or a web series or a feature, a TV right. show, and you fine tune things for them. Do you think when you're like fine tuning stuff for your audience, you uh, become less 
impressive? Like, like, do you think it's better to be to tell people what you think they want to hear? Do you think it's better to be bold and ex- and extreme and be like, "Hey, you guys want to make this romantic comedy, you know?" But I think we can blow this out of the water, and it can take place right. in Afghanistan. And we can, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, I, I think there's a difference between like being like, "Hey, you guys want a rom com, but I'm going to give you a war thriller," and like. Oh, it was here's a romantic comedy in Afghanistan. Yeah, okay, pardon me. But but I but I think, you know, th- there's a little bit of like, you know, we're a couple steps down the road now, right? So w- when you're first walking into that room and you know that uh I'm trying to think of a good analogy. If you're in Dimension and you're a rom-com guy. Sure. Like if I walked into Dimension, like I don't know what I would pitch, you know. So there's a little bit of like don't go into a room that you're not right for. But but I want to make sure that it's clear that when I'm saying I'm coming up with custom ideas for a specific place, they're all still Matt and low ideas. So they're still gonna be comedy with uh like laced with like some sentimentality and like like kind of an alt sort of sensibility and like uh young people and like female skewing. Right? Like those are kind of yeah, all things sure. that are pretty clearly Matt and low and based off of my past history basically sure yeah that makes sense i mean i think when you're when you're going into any room it becomes about you know it becomes there's like sort of this 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 high wire act that you're doing that i think you alluded to a little bit earlier which is like you're you're trying to match exactly the sensibility that they're looking for from a you know what are the gaps in my creative or what are the gaps in my production slate point of view you know, while while staying true to yourself. And there's and there's I think there are, you know, you talk about a romantic comedy that's like that, you know, you think it's gonna be set in New York and it's set in Afghanistan. Like that's totally and that's totally cool. And like a lot a lot of times is the thing that gets you the job. You know, you, you think about directors who pitch the thing that is pitch the take rather that is you know, down the middle and exactly what you think they're going to be looking for. And, and a lot of times those directors don't, they, they don't get, get the, the gig, yeah, yeah. right? You get the thing that's like, oh, this is like slightly out of the box and not, not oh, this is a rom-com in San Francisco and now it's a horror movie on the moon. Like that's, you're not going to get the gig. But if there's if there's a take that is, you know, endemic to your experience or to your life, that's... That's cool, and that's what that's what they're buying, right? You know. Right. Well, so just to wrap things up, because we we did try to sell this episode as being about idea generation, and I don't know that we really came up with it. Can you guys um, talk about a passion project or sure. something that you are excited about or have been excited about in the past, and how you came up with the idea for it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So what I will do with almost any project at this point it's like i have a, a handful of systems but there there's two that are really important to me and it's literally this is what i do every time so i'll either take a notebook and i'll do word association clouds so i'll say okay um i'm pitching on you know a network that is really skewing towards history what's a thing that is interesting to me that's historical you start there right and then I'll just kind of continue. I'll free associate with word clouds, and each, like you just like a pen and paper, literally a pen and paper. And I'll say, okay, like World War II, right? And then I'll do a circle of different things that I think are interesting about World War II, and then and I'll kind of spread them out, right? I'll do it over the whole page. It's uh, like a bunch of Nazi references. Yeah, like, like a bunch, like yeah, it's, it's every single Nazi reference. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. But but then I'll um 
I'll say, okay, well, I've got Lenny Riefenstahl over here and uh, Auschwitz over here, <laughs> right? Though the, I'm illustrating, they're, they're kind of two things that are far away from each other, both Nazi-related, as Luke illustrated. Um, but what's the thing that's interesting to me uh, in between those two, right? So instead of... Um, World War II, it could be, say, uh, audio equipment. I'm looking at all of our audio equipment. So I've got microphones at one side, and I've got uh, audio mixers on the other. Um, what's the thing that those things have in common? And does that XLR spark something? Cables. XLR cables. Or maybe it could be less That's literal. It. Maybe it could be based in, like, <laughs> it could be literally that. Or it could be that, like, oh, I continue to fuck up XLR cables. Right? Like, Or it could be like, oh, Orin helps me with XLR cables. Where does that go? And then I'll fill up the whole page and I'll try to make as many connections in between all of those different things as possible. And then I'll look at it and say, okay, like what's interesting here? Right? Like what do I like? What, what? And then I'll do it again a couple more times. And then I'll see like what's popping up. What's like in my psyche that's interesting that I continue to kind of fall back on. And then that'll be the initial seed. The last three or four things that I've sold. I've done this way for wow. sure. That's um, cool. Very I have a friend, cool. Maddie Samita. I'm sure he doesn't listen, but he told me he like has a list of worlds that he thinks are really interesting and fascinating that he'd love to explore. He was really into football, like professional football as a fan. He mm-hmm. was really into his dad had a watercress farm in Hawaii. He really thought that whole industry of watercress farming was interesting. And mm-hmm. he was really into like chess. And he had actually written a script about the kind of the head of the chess club in the high school being recruited by the football coach of the high school team to help strategize the football games and how That's well cool. he does and you know kind of nerds nerds meets jocks right. thing which is something i always like but i always thought that was interesting and you know it, it's weird i just had a baby and so all of a sudden like being a dad is interesting all of a sudden yeah, yeah. but it would would not be interesting to me as a viewer like you know, one year ago. Right. So sure. Well, it's, it's it, targeting those, those demos. And I think that that speaks to my process, which is decidedly less granular than Matt's. Um, and it's, you know, my idea generation process is really all about, you know, specific life experiences that I've had that week or that month, like whether it be on a date or even like at a target or a gas station uh, or at work, it's all about these little seeds of ideas, whether it be like a, a joke premise or a pilot premise or a film premise. It's just, it's sort of segmenting uh, and listing different, different pieces of my everyday life that could be a jumping off point for larger creative ideas. And I keep this list in a Google doc of things that just like strike me a certain way as funny. And of course they're influenced by, the larger sensibilities that I spoke about earlier, like those Larry Davids and those Christopher guests and that sort of a thing. But I I then, you know, keep this list. And then when I need creative fodder, I go back to that seed of an idea, that thing that I thought was really funny or interesting or dramatic or, or, you know, the, the impetus for a potential story. And then I build from there. Why did I think this thing was funny or cool? You know, what is the seed of that idea? And what does that say about society in a larger context? And I think that for all three of us, really what we're saying is just find that charged spark, right? So however you get there, whether it's like it just occurs to you and you make sure you write it down or it's something that's always drawn to you or it's free association, that's it, right? It's just like, what is this? What's the kernel? And then you can build from there, you know? 
And so when, so Luke, I think it's interesting that you say, you ask yourself a couple questions, like what is it that you like about this thing? Why are you drawn to it? What makes it funny, right? In the yep. case of comedy, I think that's super valuable. And then what I'll do is I'll um, start typing. You just like, if it's, you could literally be like gobbledygook. It could be like w- things that aren't even words or like the sentence, I don't know what to type. And then if you just keep going, eventually it will turn into words and then sentences and then maybe something good. And then you can delete all the stuff that's not good. Or just keep it. <laughs> or you it's can keep it. interpretive, yeah. independent film. There you go. Well, something that like, you know, I spoke about that David O. Russell moment, you know, something that I've kind of been working on is because I, I, I keep a list of funny ideas, but, you know, I used to just think of like and have funny ideas. Like I always thought it would be funny if like, like a father and son from Russia moved to America to like seek the American dream. And they uh, open up a store that sells closed signs. You know, I mean, everyone <laughs> in the world needs closed signs. Sure. In the country needs closed signs. He and they have this whole right window full of like closed signs. And they're like, why isn't anyone sure, coming sure. to our store? And, and, you know, that idea might be enough for like a 30 second commercial. Sure, sure. And so transitioning from those types of ideas, which I can generate a zillion of to... A character like I, you know, my relationship with my brothers, I think, is like unique. So maybe I'll try to write a story about me and my brothers, you know. Right. But, but it's we, interesting, the, like the closed side thing. Like I don't think that is just a thirty-second commercial. I think that you could, if I you mean, were there's passionate a about it, cut up. No, nah, man. <laughs> listen, like I think you you could very really build out like why did those people come to America? What is their sort of ultimate goal for being here? Like you get that's why I say like those seeds of ideas, those kernels of truth that you think are really really fun about everyday life or even, you know, whether you experience them or whether you just sort of think of them while you're driving to work in your car, those can with some work be fleshed out into an entire backstory and world, which I think is what writing and directing is kind of all about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's also the question of, or or the idea of why don't they realize the folly of a closed store sign and what are the other versions of that joke? Well, because on their side of the sign, it says open. They don't even know. Oh, no, I'm just, I don't know. But I no, but blow, there is something right? interesting about people from other countries, like coming to America and realizing that language is kind of used here in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like in Israel, they, everyone speaks English, but I've seen like literally like seven-year-old girls walking around with their moms and they'll wear a shirt that says, no shit, Sherlock, or like kind of <laughs> like, or fuck off or something. Because in Israel, cool. like those words are not, yeah. those are yeah, just kind of yeah, like, yeah. they coded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that uh, kind of sometimes immigrants come to America and they, they, their fascination with our language, like that the fact that the word sheet and shit sound like similar is like really hilarious to to people not from this country. You it's know? pretty funny to me too, though. Shits. Yeah, or beach and bitch, yeah. right? And so there's something fun about it i mean they you know there is like the don't mess with the zohar type of film like a like a kind of very <clears throat> kind of broad comedy that can address things like that but maybe there's something deeper. i kind of love that movie and it did make me want to visit israel and i feel like there's there's a place for that kind of broad comedy certainly and i mean i guess i guess bring it back to our larger thing like our larger sort of thesis here at least in my mind i don't know how you guys feel but any kernel of an idea can be a jumping off point or Matt, as you put it, a spark for, you know, a, a long form project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all that stuff is worth writing down because if you understand the structure of how TV and, and then film works, 
it can be it can be the the you know the the spark that really sets off the you know not to sound like a douchebag but the tr- chain reaction of of creativity we're, we're all about being douchebags on i have a huge douchebag yeah yeah well really uh eye-opening stuff guys He's rolling his eyes. Now, <laughs> now tomorrow, Have we sold you now I know how to get my 12 ideas. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's really two things that I'm trying to figure out in my own career. One is just how do I, you know, come up with these really great ideas that I feel passionate about, A, and B, how can I convince people that I'm the person that has to make this? Like, I don't want to pitch someone this great idea and they're like, oh, this is awesome. We're yeah, going to yeah. give it to this other amazing director to do. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that we really didn't talk about is like, you know, we talk about oh, how to come up with ideas and how, you know, the sky's the limit or like how to pitch to your demo. But there is the reality of like, you can come up with the next Jurassic Park, but if you're not Steven Spielberg, you don't get to get that get to make that movie. But I think that the power of learning how to come up with a bunch of ideas that are personal to you and that you're excited about is that uh, you can come up with ten, and you know a couple of them are going to be good, and a couple of them aren't going to be so great, uh, and a couple of them are going to be Jurassic Park, and a couple of them are going to be Safety Not Guaranteed. A couple guaranteed. of them are going to be Jurassic Park. You think you could tonight come up with a couple Jurassic? Parks? Maybe not a couple Jurassic Parks, but the point is, is that what like, what is your you, notepad you, like? It's so good, you guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I, but think about Jurassic Park, like how Michael Crichton came up with that idea is it was whenever it was written in the mid nineties or early nineties, that was right when people started realizing that we could clone things off of DNA and he was like, Well, what if we find DNA encased in blood in mosquitoes in amber from sure. millions of years yeah. ago. And that's a, that's a huge deal. I mean, I think that like a, a, you know, kind of an ancillary point to all this is like read the news. Sure, that is sure. a tremendous point of inspiration, just you know, in, in terms of being zeitgeisty, and also in terms of like just just inspiring other potentially relatable things that you can process or like sift through your brain. Is just be aware of what's going on right now, and I mean, executives and you know, you guys know this, like if for better or worse, they're very much about what is what's happening, what is yeah. now. I yeah. will admit that I used Donald Trump in my last pitch. That's fine. That's as, great. Uh, yeah. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> I love I love that. The other thing you said uh, that made me think Pretty of another good. thing. Neil Gaiman has a great essay about uh, basic about this same topic and really it's just the question of what if, right? So you said, "Okay, Michael Crichton's thinking about DNA." And then he said, "Well, what if we could clone things with DNA?" And that's where Jurassic Park came from. So right. just just asking yourself, "What if uh, this podcast were about coming up with ideas and here we are yeah that's Matt's Jurassic Park in <laughs> yep. his mind I told you I, a couple Matt's of Jurassic them Matt's Jurassic Park is about uh, audio mixers and microphones <laughs> there you go uh, uh, well awesome thanks for hanging out Luke yeah um, thanks for having me guys uh, we're gonna move into unpaid endorsements unpaid endorsements I'm gonna take the lead on this one if that's okay guys yeah. because it's a real clean segue Uh, Because the thing that helped me out with all of this is back in college, one of the very best classes that I ever took was by a guy named Jed Dannenbaum, who's still at USC. If you're there, uh, take a class from him. And it's basically uh, like come up with ideas, the class. And uh, while he was there, he was writing a book called Creative Filmmaking from the Inside Out. And uh, it talks about a lot of the different techniques that I brought up 
as well as a bunch of other really great ones. But they kind of all come down to find the spark and then extrapolate. But he interviews all sorts of incredible people like James Newton Howard, John Lasseter's in here, uh, Ismail Merchant, Kimberly Pierce, you know, um, some pretty heavy hitters and gives you a ton of really interesting interviews and then also some practical exercises that you can use to unlock your creativity, everybody. So that's, that's my hippy awesome. dippy endorsement. Creative filmmaking from the can inside out. on that? Yeah. It's not hippy dippy oh, at all. Thanks. I think that's very smart. Matt is showing me up as sort of a brainiac. I, I brought like a real ringer in. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're sort of a prick. You're, you know, between the, the brain maps of yeah. your pitch brainstorming and then yeah. this very sort of elite education <laughs> uh, book. Any whom... Yeah, I guess my endorsement would be, you know, very much more uh, pedantic than Matt's. And it would be go see the movie Green Room because I think it's great. It is Patrick Stewart as a Nazi at a punk rock venue outside Oregon territory, about 50 miles outside Oregon. And it is a, a thriller that I think is unlike any film I've seen produced for a very low budget edge of your seat sort of thrills being a thriller. I would hope it would offer thrills and it in fact does. It's a little uh, squeamy, right? Like a little squeamish. It's one of those movies that, you know, you think about violence in like an action adventure sense and the ways that we've experienced violence in the movies before. And then you experience violence in this movie and you're like, oh boy, yeah. that is not at all cool. Yeah, yeah. I hate violence. No, no one's shaking off a punch in this movie. Nope. Yeah. There, it's a full connection and also some severed wrists. So I would go see it. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Have you seen Blue Ruin, Luke? Yeah, it's great. How do you think he, that that guy came up with the idea for Blue Ruin? Uh, I know, actually, because I got obsessed with that movie. So he he started, he had a, a horror movie career, like just one movie that didn't do great. This is like, the, the this director is the, is the director. writer. Yeah, writer, the director director. Is, yeah, writer, director. He knew that he needed to rebrand himself and wanted to do something prestigious and also kind of that would stand out outside the box and that his best friend was the star of Blue Row and he's also in Green Room. Yeah. And he not a, that, not a known actor, not a known actor. He was like, He's this, fantastic. Though. This is my chance to make a movie. I, I believe in this guy. I love this guy. He's one of my best friends. And he's a guy I can make a movie with and we can do whatever. I can make him grow out a beard or, you know, like uh, abandon his family for a couple weeks. Like this guy is down to make a movie. So this is our shot together. And then he said he looked at the Coen Brothers movies and said, what if I took like a kind of a thriller sort of setup, right? Which a lot of the Coen brothers, like Fargo in particular, I think, you know, is about these really high stakes, intense situations where a character makes the wrong choice every single time to, to you know, in to the Coen's kind of comedic effect, but to, I think, a general audience, they're, you know, grossed out or feeling squeamish. Right. And in, in particular in Blue Ruin, that character keeps doing things that are grounded and motivated but are pretty dumb and as a result continue to heighten and make things and ratchet things up until you're at a fever pitch so that's where he started and and greener was very much in the same vein i think of being like just this you hang in those moments of unbearable tension 
And that's something that I think big studio movies don't really like to do now. You know, you, you could hang in a moment of tension for three or four minutes yeah. at a clip, and it's just like, boom, you're, it's really, really intense. Well, and I think that's why it was appealing to both festival programmers and actors, right? Like Patrick Stewart came in, Anton Yelkin is in that movie. Yep. A handful of like, hardcore people as well i think there's like i'm patrick yeah. stewart i've been i'm trying it it's yeah, not yeah. Great. is captain picard here yeah i guess i'll endorse like the opposite <laughs> of what you endorsed which is it's something probably most of our listeners know about already but i just kind of happened upon it this show uh, my wife and i just watched the entire first season over the past four days it's on lifetime <laughs> and it's called unreal have you guys heard of this show? I, I have a couple friends who love this show, and it, most people have not seen it. It's right? really good. Including yeah. yours truly. What it's, is this uh, it, it stars Shiri Appleby. Don't know. Whose brother I used to be buddies with. And Constance Zimmer. So Shiri Appleby, she was in uh, she was in Girls. She was in Swim Fan. Oh, I love <laughs> she Swim was the Fan. Star of that. She was she was, the she was the main woman in Swim she's Fan? She's a brunette, and she's also she was the main girl on um, at Roswell. Yes, sure. It's her. It's Constance Zimmer who is. Um, she was on House of Cards, and right. she was on Entourage. You know, she's the studio yep. head from Entourage. She's really good. And then I actually don't think I know any of the other actors, but and it's uh, it's it takes place in the world of reality yeah, TV. Yeah, so talk about idea generation. So this woman who worked as like a segment producer on a Bachelorette type show, her job was to like do the interviews with the contestants, you know, and try to get them to cry and say crazy things about each other. Sure. And she wrote a short film about her own experience. That's just a segment producer interviewing a contestant. <laughs> And it went to Sunday. I mean, it was, and it's literally just like a camera crew and a person. And it's like a behind the scenes of getting people to crack and the kind of the brain game, mind games wow. that you have to play. And off that short film, she got this show and they were pitching it all over the place. And when they Lifetime said, we want to do it, they're like, well, we don't want to do a Lifetime show. It's like, that's like soap operas. And they're like, no, we want to change the whole direction. We want to make good stuff. And, um, <laughs> from a guy that I, I did direct a Lifetime movie, TV movie that was not, that was bef- before they wanted to make this stuff. Um, but uh, it's like really good. I don't know. It's like we just watched the whole thing. It's not like, I, I mean, it is like a little soapy in a way, but the but way. in a good way, right? Yeah. And the yeah. way they. It's like Axe Body What's crazy soap. is one of the main characters is the, he starts out as a camera operator, but he gets uh, promoted to DP like halfway through the season. Sure. Congratulations he, to him. And he's a steady cam operator and he is operating a steady cam in almost every single shot. And Whoa. he's like a decent actor. He's like a main character of the show. He's like the love interest. And it's I'm just like baffled, like you know, operating a steady cam. It's like a full rig, you know. Yeah, you can't um, do it for more than like yeah, like ten or fifteen minutes yeah. at a time. Yeah, and he's like acting, he's like doing emoting things. He's I don't know, and they it's shot really nice, and it's hard. Most behind the scenes stuff, you know, is shot more like um, what was that Ricky Gervais show Extras? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like kind of like docu style, but this is shot like it's really nice looking. And but it's a behind the scenes show, and you see a lot of footage from the actual show, which is like literally at the same level as like a Bachelorette, which you know, assuming yeah. Bachelorette is like a five million dollar an episode type of show, like yeah, huge, huge, like, budget. huge yeah. art deck, huge everything. Um, 
it's so it's good unreal it's called and i watched and it so the on sh- Hulu. what is the what is the so the behind the scenes is unreal but then like what is the show that they're actually producing it's like a bachelorette it's called um everlasting and, and where does that air Oh, oh it, no, no, it's no, it's scripted. It's, it's scripted. scripted. Oh, it's a scripted it, show, it, yeah. It, that makes a lot more sense. Sorry, yeah, it's a scripted show. That's why these actors are playing these like, characters. Where does, why haven't I heard of that? No, but it's really good. It's about the kind of psyche manipulations that these people do on each other. Sure. And on the contestants, and no one really knows what's real, and everyone you know i don't know if you guys know people work in reality tv like those big reality tv shows but they have it's real like they have these confidants like people that are just their job is just to become friends with the contestants or the shahs of sunset or the vanderpump people or the real housewives and just to be like oh you know i heard monica um went out to lunch with susan as a side note i went to speaking of vanderpump i went to pump with a woman about a year ago on a date because she thought it'd be very funny to go to a vanderpump restaurant and i had a 28 dollar hamburger one of the worst burgers i've ever had (laughs) apropos of nothing but just wanted to let you guys and the listeners know um, you don't stay away from pump on robertson and santa monica cool cool perfect okay well on that note Thanks for coming to hang out, Luke. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Where can listeners learn more about you? Uh, you can go to my website, Luke, L-U-K-E, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, Klein, C-L-Y-N-E, dot com. Or you could just sort of keep your ear to the grindstone. <laughs> do you tweet, Luke? Yeah, I do. At L. Kelly Klein. Wait, saying, keep your ear to the grindstone? That's right. Did you make that up, up that saying? That's my it's my patented saying. I say that a lot. Because it's your nose, you right? Came, you came through yes. a, a, that was a word cloud free association. Yeah, it was yeah. what it was from. Yeah, Perfect. I looked at one of your like pitch sheets yeah. and I saw, yeah, my uh, Twitter is at L Kelly Klein, C-L-Y-N-E. Cool. Great. And you can learn more about the show and check out all of our show notes and the stuff that we talked about at justshootedpodcast.com or you can follow us on Twitter at justshootedpod.com. I'm Matt Enlow. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. This episode was edited by Eric Cropo. Thanks, Eric. And our music is still by Steve Combs. Yeah. Send us a note and we will see you next time. Or hear you next time. You'll hear us next time. <laughs> Bye. Okay, cool. We are we're live. Hey, Luke. Well, uh, boy, I hate when I do that lip smack. Yep. Yeah, smacky. Just wait till you smackman. Just wait till you get the the podcast going, man. You'll notice a weird thing that you do, and you'll be like, "Why do I do that always?" I hate what you do. I mean, there is the whole hating your voice, your own yeah. voice thing. But yeah. it, this is like it's like learning to hate your own ticks, you know. So I will like sigh sometimes when I'm listening to people. And yeah. Anyway, people learn like with their patterns. Like, there's a lot of people that say, "There's the you know." In the 90s, everyone would say like a lot, right? Like, like, sure. like, like. And then so like in the 2000s, that. I would say dude a lot. Like, dude, 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 dude. Um, but something that a lot of people on our podcast say is basically. Mm. And you know. You know is like the that. new like. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I say that all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You do yeah, say that yeah, a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense.